Welcome to the Lighthouse Podcast, a resource created by Lighthouse Family Retreat to strengthen families that are living through childhood cancer. You will hear stories from families, educational information on childhood cancer, and most importantly, we will encourage your family during this journey. Hey everyone, I'm Chris Woodruff and I'm here with Christy Richards and we are wrapping up September and Childhood Cancer Awareness Month. And we're doing that with the Detlings. Uh, over the summer, we had the chance to sit down with Chuck and Marianne Detling, and they are good friends of ours and good friends of Lighthouse. And they've been living in the world of childhood cancer for several years. They're parents to Grace and Samantha, two amazing. Cutest girls ever. Mm-hmm. I'm a little biased, can you tell? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and so they're going to share with us uh, how they've been dealing with their journey and some of the different challenges that they've had and some of the things that have worked for them. They've had to learn how to really kind of divide and conquer as parents uh, in the different roles of going through this season together. Uh, they talk about the importance of research and really digging in and learning as much as you can and asking some questions and really just talk a lot about what has made it work for them. So let's join in on the debt links. Hey guys, welcome to the Lighthouse Podcast. We are so glad uh, that you are joining us. Thank you for making some time uh, to sit with us and tell a little bit about your story. Um, Christy and I are, are pretty familiar with with you guys, but the folks that are listening, they don't know a lot about you. So um, why don't you guys give us a little bit about your family? Introduce yourselves and and your and your kids. Hey, um, I'm Mary Ann Detling. My husband's Chuck Detling. We've been married since 2003, and we have our daughter, Grace, who is 12, and Samantha is eight. Yeah, just the four of us. Just the four of us. We live in East Cobb, and they both, you know, go to Mount Bethel Christian Academy, and um, we love it around here, and normally our lives revolve around their activities and just things going on at school and church. Yeah. So it's summertime right now. Tell us what's what's the what's the thing they're most excited about right now, the girls. We bought a pool. So we've got a little ten foot pool in the front yard they've been spending a couple hours a day in. Yeah. Uh, of course everything's canceled. So uh, a summer that was gonna be full of camps four or five days a week is is gone, but they're actually handling it as well as they possibly could. So they're, they're happy kids. Yeah. yeah. They're doing well. Um, yeah, it's good. Oh, that's great. I love the, uh, I love going with the, uh, the big above ground pool. I w- I'd love to see a picture of that in your front yard. <laughs> Listen, don't yeah. worry. Besides being adorable, their girls are super active. So I would imagine that you needed something outdoors and active for those girls for the summer, especially Samantha, right? Yes. Yeah. Samantha and I have been doing like daily bike rides and that has been a savior because she has so much energy. We've got to get out of the house and do something. So. Yeah, but we have an actual schedule. I mean, they get up in the morning, do their chores, do some studying. We all exercise together as a family. Um, Are you guys offering that as a, like a for hire? Because uh, I know we could definitely use uh, that kind of organization in our home. We will put your kids to work. <laughs> yeah, we got plenty to do around here. No, it's Samantha, I think, needs the structure at, at her age. And uh, we feel that that's a good way to sort of handle her anxiety. She kind of knows what her day is going to look like when she wakes up in the morning. Um, 
And so that's just, it works for our family. Yes, that would work very well in my house. I'm a big fan of schedules. I don't know that my kids would be as big a fan, but I'd be a big fan for them to have a schedule like that. Well, hey, listen, um, that's a little bit about you guys. Um, I appreciate y'all sharing that for the folks that are listening. Let's talk a little bit about, because there's a lot of, uh, a lot of families that are in similar situations to you guys with their, with their childhood cancer journey. Give them a little bit of insight. Give our folks listening a little bit of insight of, uh, of your journey. Where did it start and, and where are you currently in the journey? What's it, what, what does it look like for you guys? Well, so we're going to start with when we were diagnosed. Um, July 4th, we went over to a friend's house and they have some dogs. And one of the dogs um, bit or scratched uh, Grace's cheek bad enough to where she needed stitches. So Chuck decided he would take her to the doctor. Um, He does better with keeping them calm. in in those situations where needles are involved. So he took her to the ER, she got stitched up, and Chuck was looking at her face and, you know, checking it out, seeing if anything else had happened. And he noticed her right eye was jumping up and down. And he said, you know, he asked the ER doctor, hey, you know, do you think this was caused? And the ER doctor caused by the the dog and the ER doctor said, no, you know, you need to go get that out with an eye doctor. So she comes home, we finish 4th of July, I schedule an eye doctor appointment. The eye doctor um, puts her through the typical test and at this time she's age six. And so kind of doing an eye test is a little difficult, but um, he, I was, you know, sitting there the whole time and they have this book where they show numbers and it's different colors and and she was struggling with that and I was you know sitting there and I'm like you know the, the child's reading you know we haven't ever had an issue with her saying she couldn't see something but okay we're you know checking everything out and he comes back and he says all right in her right eye has 20 over 400 vision. And she's having, she's seeing colors. And he's like, when I look in there, he's like, you know, something's not, you need to go see a specialist. Oh, all right, a specialist, okay. So he sends us to a neuro-ophthalmologist. And, you know, he gets us in, I'd say pretty quick. It was a few weeks away. But Chuck takes her to the neuro-ophthalmologist and you know he says the same thing that the right eye has you know really poor vision left eye's great but the right eye's something going on so he ordered an mri and so she goes to get the mri um so i was out of town for work when i got the call from the doctor with the results and what did he call it? i think he called it she had a lesion, a lesion. Yeah. on her brain and I'm sitting there, you know, out of town getting this information. And I'm just like, what the world is a lesion on a brain? And he goes, I'm going to schedule you with an oncologist. And this was a Wednesday. And he's like, your appointment's Friday. Oh, okay. So 
Chuck, by this point, has already started researching and re yeah, what the possibilities could be. He, I don't think he shared them with me before we I, went. Yeah, I, I suspected pretty early that the diagnosis of what it was going to be. I mean, even before the MRI and we talked to the doctor, but. Yeah, as soon as he saw the diagnosis, I think he started researching what would be the causes for that. And so that Friday, you know, we take Grace in and sit down. And I remember the room really hot. <laughs> and, and here, here comes our, our oncologist, you know, sweet little lady. And she's like, yes, you know, Grace has an optic glioma. It's sitting in between her optic nerves and close to her hypothalamus. Um, so, so this is a solid brain tumor. Yeah, about the size of a golf ball, yeah. um, sitting between where her two optic nerves cross and go into, uh, go into her brain. And so um, basically at that point, her right optic nerve was more tumor than it was nerve. Um, and of course, we see the MRIs for the first time, and it's, it's, a, it's a great big yeah. glowing white ball in the middle of her brain. Uh, pretty obvious you're not supposed to be there. Yes. So... She said, we're going to, you know, we've scheduled you to meet with a surgeon. And she, goes, and she explained, she said, well, the surgeon is going to get a biopsy because we need to know what type of tumor it is before we can treat it. But here are your treatment options. And she I think even started then laying out what they were. And she, you know, hey, look, you know, this is something that we see all the time. We've got medicines for day, you know, she's like, we've got a long list of medicines to treat this thing. Um, she said, pretty, you know, explained that pretty much almost all the regiments were a year. And during time, you know, she would get the medicine, we would get regular MRIs. For Grace, we have to do eye exams because of course, you know, gotta check how the vision's doing. But they did explain that this was inoperable, like they were not gonna be able to take any of it out that this the surgery was truly just to get a sample of it so that we could see what the makeup was so, so i mean this is the summer of 2014 yeah and, and probably within a month this is all within three or three or four weeks from well, you know july 4th her first surgery was august 1st carrier biopsy then they couldn't get what they needed and then so she's in for a full craniotomy which is you know brain surgery yeah not 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 long thereafter so and even before that second surgery i was i had them send off her case to saint jude to make sure that we needed to do the full craniotomy because they kept saying we know what we're going to treat it with and you know i was Personally, truthfully, I mean, we were both ticked. Yeah, I was against brain surgery from, from the very beginning. It, there's, it, it's a risk-reward, right? And uh, putting a six-year-old through that, if there's not an actual tangible benefit, seems like a silly thing to me to do. Uh, and we had some pretty big disagreements, I think, with, with our doctors about that and ultimately decided to, you know, to allow that. Um, but we, we got this an opinion. We weren't going to another surgery. Um, without somebody else looking at it saying, yes, you definitely need to do the biopsy. So I guess that's our first time questioning our doctors. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, so that's, so that started a, you know, a year long treatment at yes. that point. So Grace is about to start first grade. She's about to go into first grade. Yep. 
Um, and the treatment we chose was a mix of vincristine and pills. So I, our first story of giving her her pills, they told us um, they weren't sure whether she'd be able to actually swallow them. So they said, You're, you may have to crush them. And if you have to crush them, then you cannot be in your kitchen, bathroom, and you need to be wearing gloves and a mask when you give it to her because you cannot inhale this. So the UPS guy shows up one day with a box, and the box has got, it didn't have a skull and crossbones on it, but it was a <laughs> medical waste. It was clearly, you know, just leaves it on her front porch. Yeah. And we go to give Grace, um, some of the treatment was at home and some was at, at, at children. And we're in the, um, in our garage, we've got masks on. The little one, Samantha, who's three, three at the time, has got a mask on. Marianne's got gloves on. And poor Grace is looking around like, what are you guys about to do to me? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so she luckily was able to swallow the pills. So lucky that we did not have to crush those and fight that. And because each weekend that we did pills, I mean, she had... I think she took like upwards of 50 pills in a weekend, including Zofran. But I would have to wake her up at like 4 a.m. and be like, okay, honey, sit up, take your pills, go back to bed. But, uh, you know, she was a trooper. And it's looking back at those pictures, you, you know, it did take a toll on her. Her counts would drop and she would be... You know, anyway, we'd have to be really cautious about who she was around, but yet she still went to school every day. She yeah. had brain surgery on a Tuesday, and she went to be her uh, mystery reader to her classroom on Friday. Um, I think she got her strength from school and being around her friends and being normal. So we always of course encourage that um i guess this kind of leads into another thing we've talked about when talking about our journey is that chuck in the beginning i think even that first day of diagnosis he was like you know he's like marianne this is going to be with her for life he's like so we can't baby her too much he's like you know we had her that life life is yes we have this tumor to deal with and you have chemo treatments but you know she's got to be normal and so we sh we have stressed with each teacher that she's had that um treat her like you treat everybody else she doesn't get special treatment because who's going to give her special treatment when she goes out for her job when did you guys learn in the process that it was not just a one-year treatment and then it's and then it's gone? Where did that change for you guys, or how early did you know that? You know, they probably told us early on, right? I mean, so so when you when you have a brain tumor, the gold standard for treatments is that is to remove it, um, and if it's located in the right part of the brain, they can do that because of where. Grace's tumor is getting access to it is next to impossible, um, let alone removing it. But really, the first month we were just the first couple months, it was just focused on stopping its growth, saving her vision, you know, saving um, some of her endocrine function. Uh, so I think while intellectually we, we 
we knew it early on. We were pretty deep in the weeds. Um, well, and the doctor kept saying, you know, after this treatment, we hope to get five years before it grows again. She's like, she was always like, we hope to be able to get a couple of time, you know, a, a period of time before we start again. So she was pretty blunt that this was just, uh, yeah. Yeah, the doc. I mean, the doctors don't like this type of tumor um, because there is no, there is no clear treatment plan, right? It's just we're going to keep punting the ball until maybe science comes up with a better, uh, a better answer. So, no, we did know early on, um, and we tried our best to prepare Grace. You know, we're, we're lucky that she's a pretty, you know, bright, precocious six and a half year old. But it's it's tough to prepare her for something that we don't know what's going to look like. When I first met you guys and heard your story, the thing that stuck out to me is how well you seemingly handle the fact that there is no end date. I mean, so many of us, we get an end date and sometimes it changes a little, but we get an end date. So how, how do you and your family, and especially now that Grace, he, she's 12, so she's not six and a half anymore. How do you deal with that kind of stress that comes with something that just go, you know, that has no end date and now she's older and understands things in a way different way? How have you handled that? I, I I think we, we treat it with the seriousness that it deserves and no more, right? Um, and in a way it was beneficial that this happened when she was young because we could sort of build this into our, you know, into our lifestyle and, and that this does not, you know, sort of define, define who she is. But we try to be very matter of fact with her. Um, this is what we know, this is what we don't know, this is what we hope for and uh, holding out hope, right? Because this is, the, you know, there's a chance this tumor just stops growing or that you know, there are treatments that are in the works that might be able to, um, you know, to help her one day. But uh, I think just being as honest with her as, you know, as we could be. Um, yeah, and I have to say that, of course, yeah, we've been on this. So we're about to start treatment again at the end of this month. And every three months you have scans and you're always hoping for the best and there's been a calmness ultimately i would say because i see people post on the facebook you know that they're preparing for you know they're oh my child has a scan in three days and i already can't sleep and i'm like i'm thankful that god god's given me a piece of some sort because i don't i don't think either of us get really that kind of level of anxiety about them. Um, it stings. And, you know, I think this time, there was a few days where we were both just kind of like, I'd say more disappointed or I don't know. And. I mean, she's been on treatment more often than not. Yeah. The last six years. But obviously she's transitioned from a little six-year-old girl to, to, you know, 12. And, and entering an adolescence and, wants to be normal like everybody else and i think my disappointment was was her yeah than than anything um she just wants to be in school and with her friends yeah um but that being said we let her have a party and then it was yeah. you're just gonna pick up and, and do what you have to do so we don't spend a whole lot of time focusing on on the future it's just this is what grace has got a strong faith and she knows that god has a plan for her and i think that helps that helps her um and it helps us as well I mean, I guess another thing that Chuck and I have talked about on and off is, you know, in the beginning we had people bringing us meals and, you know, doing whatever. We've got this great community around us. Yeah. 
fantastic from day one. But we stopped getting meals and we stopped stuff like that. And, you know, Chuck was like, you know, some of our friends are going to get worn out from this because they're kind of, you know, they're investing themselves in us and they're on the journey with us in a way. And um, so I really, you know, so I think about that and I still have a prayer group that meets every Thursday that started for grace and you know they've they've kind of stuck with us they've been the ones that have stayed throughout this entire time and that's incredibly helpful and they're my ones who are you know like oh well you know god's just gonna one day she's gonna have that mri and she's gonna it's gonna be gone you know, it's going to be a miracle and Grace is going to be able to share the joy with that. So I would say, you know, they keep, well, they help keep me faithful and strong with all of it. But you have to be considerate about, you know, yeah. of, of them and of our friends and their emotional health as well, because it's, 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 it's as difficult as it is for us. It's even more difficult for them because they don't have... They don't know what to do. How do I help when your when a friend goes through something like this? So in the beginning, you mentioned that you had the first of many disagreements with your doctor over craniotomy. And I know, Chuck, that you're a huge advocate and you're a researcher. I think you probably have a doctorate or something in something because of this whole journey. But how you've managed to advocate for grace while at the same time, you're super close with your doctors and there's a trust there. So how do you walk that line and where have you really had to advocate for her? So I, I think that you have to, you have to know what your goal is, right? And so knowing early on that this tumor going away was not a realistic, realistic goal, that really helped shape sort of our decision-making process, which is we're always going to take into account what effect this has on Grace's current well-being and what effect it's going to have on her future well-being. And so I try to frame every question I ask to the doctors and every decision we made, you know, with, with that in mind. And so there have been times where, where, where the doctors have been medically correct, but they've been myopic in the fact that they're just looking at, hey, I've got this issue in front of me. How do I treat it? Um, and we've had to sort of change the focus a little bit to, all right, we also have a little girl in front of us who's, you know, yeah. is going to grow up and get married and want to have kids and all these other sort of things. What are we doing to, you know, to protect, you know, that, that future? Um, well, we've also... I would say for the first four treatments, every time or each time we needed a new treatment, we've gotten second opinions. Um, we have also looked at proton therapy and, you know, we keep exploring options even if like our doctor hasn't presented them yet. Yeah, we, we, we built a network early on. Uh, folks from you know from St. Jude's and from from Boston. from Boston Children's and you know Houston yeah. and Orlando, um, just a group of people. We we have found that most of the of the doctors have been very very receptive um, uh, to, to us doing that, and so we, we've always had this network. And now we trust the folks at, at that they're consulting with outside doctors when they need to consult with them. Um, but we did that so that we'd have other resources and also it helps give you some peace of mind, right? It helps manage our anxiety. We've got, we're doing something, but that's been helpful. And we've turned to that network several times. Yes. And luckily, luckily Chuck does love to research cause I do not. So, so the issue is 
you, you have to establish a basic vocabulary so you can have a conversation. Doesn't mean that you understand the issue as well as, as the doctor, but a good rule of thumb is if the doctor can't explain it to you in a way that you understand, maybe the doctor doesn't understand the issue well enough. And, and all that tells you is you need to drill down maybe a little more. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and the doctors have been receptive to that. I mean, they're, 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 nobody goes into pediatric oncology because you don't like kids, right? I mean, they're, they're, they're receptive to that. I think that's great. I love that comment. Uh, if they can't explain it in such a way that you understand, then maybe they don't understand it well enough to be then able to explain it. I think that's great. Can you guys give us an example of when you pushed back and, and kind of maybe got the second opinion or did something different? And, and what that result was. Was it a, a, a benefit or it worked out better because you did? Is there an example of that? So, so Grace had been on a carboplatin, mm -hmm. um, which is a very, very harsh old school chemotherapy drug. And she had a reaction to it like, like a lot of kids do, um, pretty, pretty severe reaction. And so um, uh, we, had to, we had to get off of that drug. Of course, it was working. Yes. Which is the most frustrating part. <laughs> And the doctors were pointing us towards a clinical trial. Um, and, and one of the problems with, with Grace's tumor and a lot of pediatric brain tumors is that they're, by definition, all rare. Um, solid tumors make a pretty small percentage of, of, of pediatric cancer. And then once you take those solid tumors and now you, you segment the brain tumor, particular type of brain tumor, kids that have what, what Grace has. Um, so the doctors can't give you a, a ton of guidance on what any particular treatment is, is going to do. But we were being pushed into a clinical trial because Grace had exhausted um, a lot of the other drugs. Um, and I, I, I did some research and came across a drug that had been used at that time in just a, just a small handful of kids, um, but had a uh, much less severe side effects, looked like a lot less in long-term uh, damage. And I just wasn't convinced that there was enough data to support the clinical trial. And our doctor, who's fantastic, who's pushing really hard. And I remember that Marianne and I just sort of sitting down on the floor in the middle of the hallway. And I said, look, I feel strongly about this. I, you know, I want you to trust me that this is the right thing to do. Um, and thank God it was the right thing to do. Uh, I would have been mortified had, had her tumor actually grown, but it turned out that that, that was the right, the right move for us. So, and we're actually restarting that same medicine yeah. uh, again. Yeah. Yeah. We can use it again. I think that's just great for other families to hear that um, that it's okay to push and ask questions, and and that there can be a benefit from it. I think that's great. And you know, if your doctor isn't okay with that, isn't okay with you doing research and exploring stuff and taking the time to explain stuff to you. I'm trying to find another doctor. Well, here's the thing. <laughs> I don't there, there's rarely a right answer, yeah. right? I mean, oftentimes, you know, if, you're, if, you, if your child's got cancer, you're dealing with one, two, maybe three crappy options, right? And so you have to just do the best you can. You can't be afraid that you're making a mistake. I mean, you can be afraid you're making a mistake, but I mean, you can't let that dominate your thoughts because it's not like there's a right and wrong answer. You just have to trust yourself to do the best that you can. Um, and then if it doesn't work, you have to try something else. You're, it's a bad situation to be in. Right. I also have to say that you can advocate for your child too by kind of setting expectations about the communication that you and your doctor have. 
I know people who say that they haven't heard their MRI results for two weeks. And I'm like, Ooh, we leave with a CD from the MRI machine, you know, from the technician, they give us a CD, but then I have, or, you know, the doctor calls us that day and tells us what the results are. We don't wait for a doctor's appointment to come back and then tell us we like to go ahead and have that at least initial discussion and know where we're at that day. We, we do a lot of communication through email yeah. and luckily our doctor is receptive to that. And so now you've got a written record. Um, and you can get, it gives you a chance to maybe think about some of your questions and, you know, and concerns. When one of us goes to the doctor, not the other one, we get the other person on, on, on the call. So we've got two sets of ears. It doesn't make sense for to go to every appointment and spend four hours, but I can be on a conference call for 15 minutes or Mary Ann can from the doctor. We've also learned that he had, he's better going to certain doctor's appointments and I'm better going to certain doctor's appointments. Um, like our eye doctor, for, for, for instance. Chuck, the eye doctor experience is, is stressful to me because you're multiple floors, you're waiting. I think it's gotten better. But it just really stressed me out, and he's better, like, whatever. You know, we're here. But he would – I remember, like, I think I went to one by myself, and that for some reason, he, when I called, like, I couldn't get you on the phone. And I left, and he's like, well, what about this? And what about this? And I was like – I didn't ask those questions. I didn't know to ask those questions. And so we just determined that that's his appointment. Yeah. I do the MRIs. Yeah. <laughs> I schedule everything, but you know, we, we divide. <laughs> divide and conquer. I think that's so important though. I think, um, and I think having that conversation, right? Um, and really talking through what, what are the, the strengths that you each bring and who would rather go to which, and I think that's helpful. Um, to be able to, to, to navigate and go through this. Hey, we've got to um, start wrapping up. Um, but before we do, there's another family out there that's listening, right? And they've just either recently got a very similar diagnosis. They're getting ready to maybe walk a very similar journey that you guys have been on the last six years. If you can tell them two or three things right now that's going to help them walk through this and get through this, and they're in their first three to four, six months, what would you share with them? Uh -huh. I think it's going to sound maybe a little out there. Number one is you've got to focus on your marriage. You can't do that for the first three months. Just, just give up on trying to have any sort of normal sort of marriage relationship for a couple months because there's just too much being thrown at you. But someone gave us this advice, you know, plan a date, get a marriage counselor, something three, six months out, you're going to have to eventually um, come up for here. Because if that relationship is not solid and doesn't work, you're not going to be able to be the best advocate for your, you know, for your kid. Um, don't feel bad if you can't be that way for the yeah. first month or two or three months. That's too much to ask. But you need to put, you know, circle a date on the calendar, as crazy as it sounds. Yeah. You know. Another one is start writing down a story and people that you're talking with so that when you're asked six years later, Hey, what, what treatments have you been on? Oh, I, you know, I have that right here. Here you go. This is what she's been on. Yeah. Keep the documentation. I have, I have binders of information <laughs> that has just been from her procedures. Um, and then I guess another point is, of course, if you have a sibling, you have to still give them focus. 
Yeah. It's um, even if it's even if it's a friend taking them and doing something special with them, that's fine. But you you got to focus on them, and then you also I mean, of course, you focus on your cancer cancer child. But um, I guess it kind of goes along with you as a saying as a you know growing your marriage, focusing on your marriage. You do also have to focus on your family. Yeah, but don't blame yourself for not. For, for not being the best husband, wife, parent for the first couple of months. Yeah. It's, it's, it's just too much. And you can't get depressed and upset about that. You've been called to war, right? Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, for a lot of us, it's a, even if it's only a year or two, it's still a marathon more than a sprint. And so you've got to make preparation to, to have some sort of life of normalcy. Yeah. And do use the organizations out there. Yeah. Yep. And there are some great ones. I love that. Um, giving giving families these parents permission to to give themselves some grace you know those first three months that you're you're not going to be perfect for the first three months that's okay but i also love the idea of challenging them to beyond that three months be intentional about setting setting some targets whether that's for your marriage or with the siblings and and really you know putting those things in place and it's okay to put them out a little farther out and have some grace for yourselves for the first several months because you got to figure it out. You're in you're in this new world, so that's okay. But also, don't let it go forever, right? Be intentional. So, thank you guys for that. I think I think that'll be really huge for some families to hear that. I think they need to hear that it's okay, but they also need to hear that you you also need to make it a priority. So, thanks for sharing that, guys. Hey, we um, we really appreciate y'all's time today. Thanks for sharing. Um, I think it's so important for them to hear, families to hear the the value of advocating and pushing and asking questions and challenging and uh, and also just talking about marriage priorities. So thank you guys for sharing some of your story and spending time with us. We're super grateful. We are. And those girls are so lucky to have you as parents, really. <laughs> they're, thank you. they're great. We love them. They're a mess though. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Yeah, absolutely. We appreciate it. And uh, yeah, we'll look forward to talking to you guys soon. All right. Awesome. Sounds good. Thank you. We are so grateful that we had a chance to hear from the Detlings and also to learn a little bit about Grace's story. Uh, this is our final podcast of September. We love that you joined us for Childhood Cancer Awareness Month. But just so you know, raising awareness for our families does not stop here. If you want to know more about Lighthouse and what we do, visit us at lighthousefamilyretreat.org. And we will see you later on the next episode of the Lighthouse Podcast.